Hey, this is Ryan Barnett. You're watching Shout Out Loudcast, and uh, we're playing lots of good music. I know these guys are great fans of rock and roll, and that's what we deliver. See you all soon. Please come and see us when we play in America. I want to. That's right. We're back with another episode of Dorm Damage, the show where anything and everything is on the table and the table gets smashed. This week, a super special episode with a legend. Zeus, what do we got this week? We got the incredible author Mick Wall joining us this week. Amazing. Amazing. We both read tons of his books from Zeppelin to Metallica to Black Sabbath and Foo Fighters and Guns N' Roses. The guy's incredible. He's got a brand new book coming out in the U.S. Uh, on the Eagles. And we were so thrilled to have such an iconic rock journalist such as Mick Wall. And the conversation that we have with him is incredible. We touch on everything from the book to Kiss to Axl Rose, the Eagles. It's, it's, it's incredible. We're so excited for you guys to hear this. Yeah, he's uh, promoting his new book that will be released July 11th. Life in the Fast Lane, the Eagles' reckless ride down the rock and roll highway. Uh, without further ado, legendary author, Mick Wall. Today, we are thrilled to have one of our biggest guests ever, if not the biggest guest. Mick Wall is the best-known rock journalist in the world. Author of numerous best-selling books on bands such as Led Zeppelin, Metallica, Black Sabbath, and so much more. He's an award-winning broadcaster and producer, a writer for Kerrang!, the former editor-in-chief of Classic Rock Magazine. His work has appeared in The Times, Mojo, Rolling Stone, and many other newspapers and magazines around the world, and he has the new Mick Wall podcast. We're thrilled to welcome the great Mick Wall to the show. Mick, thank you for joining us. It is absolutely my pleasure, guys. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mick, uh, when we heard that you're doing an Eagles book, uh, Tom, unfortunately, is not a big Eagles fan. I, I, I like them. I like them. <laughs> I am a huge Eagles fan. When I feel like my one of my favorite bands is connecting with one of my favorite writers, super <laughs> excited, beyond belief. But I, I have to get this thing out because as a kid, I listened to your name on one of my favorite deep cuts on guns and roses Uh and that's where your name first came to me so do you ever toast with bob guccione jr and andy setcher and circus magazine get together and uh salute uh axel for those lyrics uh no there's a simple answer um i never met bob uh i met andy um 
quite a few years before the song. And Andy was, uh, I don't even know if he's still around, uh, but he was kind of like what we would call a lovable rogue. Okay. Uh, he was hit parader's guy. And yes. Um, and, and there's a very long lead in, t- I don't know what it's like now, but back in those days, very long lead in time for hit parader. So uh, by the time the magazine had come out, the stories in there were three months old. And <laughs> oh, gotcha. so, so Andy made no no uh, bones about letting everybody know. I remember we were at Rock in Rio in 85, and he was like, I already wrote the story. The story's written. It's all good. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, it won't come out till April, and people wonder what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> but he was sort of the king of that. And, or if you did an interview with him, uh, I mean, these days, this happens all the time with cut and paste, but this is right. pre-computer. This is guys yeah. on typewriters. He would interview you, and then he would portion out bits of that interview for years, you know. <laughs> Exclusive, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> that was two years ago. Man, they don't know that, you know. Um, so he, he was brilliant fun. He made no bones about it. Um, and in a way, he he uh was kind of you know uh ahead of ahead of the curve in in my case um it was the very opposite and uh uh for me uh axel anybody but it turns out axel in particular because i had done so much for that band behind the scenes Mm-hmm. But, um, Axel gave me a gold record for GNR Lives. Wow. wow! Yeah. And so when I interviewed him, the interview that he claimed he, I made up, um, which I still have all the recordings of, um, mm-hmm. uh, I, the thing that was great about Guns N' Roses is that, uh, you didn't have to make anything up, you know. It was <laughs> my, my, my job was more about curating the truth, so that it was always the truth. But it was what do I leave out that that will damage them? Um, and there, there's so many things happened because I was tight. We were tight. We were bros, you know. And mm. um, so many things happened that I've never written about. No one's read about. Because they clearly weren't public domain. They were very personal, uh, often very upsetting. And um, I kept all of that uh, under the hat uh, and just wrote about how amazing they were. And um, so when I hear all this shit about, oh, he, he... Axel doesn't really believe he said that. It's like the woman that rang me to say that was his publicist, and she was in the apartment the whole time. (laughs) She is the human witness to what happened. And just like you guys, at the end, I mean, I did a radio show in those days in London. So I, I did like three interviews with Axel. I did one for Kerrang! magazine. That turned into two because it, it, once he'd got got it off his chest about Vince Neil, he then went into other things. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to keep him talking. You know, this is Axel Rose. It was hard <laughs> to get in those days. But he had rung me on the phone at just after midnight. I was in bed. 
I had to get out of bed, get his publicist to drive me to his apartment. We got there at 2 a.m. And he's already screaming and freaking out out about Vince Neil, you know. So what part of this have I made up? You know, I mean, uh, (laughs) like, fuck you, Axel. Um, And in those days, you know, as a younger man, I think I was like, uh, yeah, I was 31 when Mm -hmm. the the interview in question came out. And guys, I'd have fucking knocked that man to the curb, you know. I mean, I I was a rough (laughs) motherfucker. I didn't piss around. And uh, not Vince Neil, by the way, he'd have toasted me. You know, I mean, I'd have been dead if he'd have had a go at me. But, um, but Axel, come on, man, he's like the biggest weed in the world. I mean, I mean, these days he's overweight, but back then he was just a skinny little guy. I mean, you you could you could blow and he'd fall over. You know, so it was just like, oh fuck all of you, fuck all of this shit, and and. And fuck it even more, you know. <laughs> so I, I took the whole thing very badly. Um, and, of course, I regret that now. I, I totally regret that. It wasn't the way to handle it. But I was still under the impression that he was just a jive-ass, uh, ego-monster, rock star wanker. Um, and, and as the years have gone by, I, I, I mean, all rock stars have something of that. But um that isn't the case with axel that isn't his main that isn't what really pushes him um you know i'm a i it's many years later and i'm a dad now um and one of my children uh, is autistic she's mm-hmm. what you call high functioning mm-hmm. uh, she went to a performing arts college and i swear to god you know uh, as she was growing up, I used to call her Axel because she'd have to change clothes five times a day. Mm-hmm. Something she loved. You know, I love this. The very next day, you know, I hate this. It's <laughs> driving me fucking crazy, you know. But um, she got her diagnosis, and my wife also works with disadvantage. She she's, uh, works at the hospital now, but for years, she worked with disadvantaged young adults with learning disabilities and yeah. traumas. And and uh, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know for sure, but I went on many courses just to, to, you know, to get to know what I was dealing with when it came to my daughter. And, man, I'm, you know, Axel Rose uh, is not how he is because he's some arsehole rock star. He's how he is because of, like all of us, because of his childhood mm. and his childhood was so appallingly abysmal. Yeah. yeah. Sexual abuse, violence. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's one story which I won't tell, but again, uh, on the long list of things I discovered that it's just not fair to him to talk about unless he gotcha. Sure. Sure. To yeah. But the fact is that man, suffered terrible 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 abuse as a child and a lot of it didn't uh the facts didn't become known until he was uh later in his life and by which time he's the most famous rock star in the world and everybody's kissing his ass and i mean no wonder the guy didn't know what fucking day it was anymore and Mm. uh, i mean he ended up sacking the whole band you know one by one got rid of them 
Um, no wives, no significant others. Uh, the friends he has, he pays for. Um, wow. I mean, again, the whole family situation is so fucked up that it will hurt him for me to go into too much detail. The point is, um, I would not have taken that personally, knowing then what I know now. Right, yeah. right, um, right. This, this poor guy, this guy needs help. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it's funny because when I was working on that story, and we did an interview for the radio, and he did a, hi, you're listening to Mick Wall. He's awesome. <laughs> you know, all that stuff. Because um, uh, we were still friends. And so about three weeks later, as I'm writing this thing, it's coming out, you know, I'm, I want to guns or knives, motherfucker. I'm going to take you out, all this business. And knowing what a tough cookie Vince was, mm-hmm. um, I rang Axel and said, man, this is really heavy are you sure you want to do this and i recorded this conversation and i still have this tape um and he said read it to me so i i read out some of the worst bits and he started laughing and he goes man i stand by every fucking word (laughs) The, the interview came out a week or two later and that night i got a phone call from his publicist oh could we have a copy of the tape? I said no, because um, you know journalists we don't do that. Um, why? Why would you want a copy of the tape? Um, and uh, blah blah blah. She she said, oh, there was a G- they're doing a GNR phone line. They want to put the interview on the phone line. I went, oh, jeez, <laughs> fuck off. Man. Sure you are. What's going off? You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. And then, like, after two or three nights, she finally gets to it. She says, look, he, he just doesn't think he said those things. And I wow. said, you were in the room. You were sitting there while he <laughs> was saying them. Wow. Um, but then you got to remember, guys, he was paying her wages. You know, he was paying her salary. Yeah. Um, who's she going to side with? The, the limey uh, who's causing trouble for her? Right. Um, or the big boss who's the most famous rock star in the world and we all know he's a fucking lunatic this is what i gotta deal with but at least i get paid right um right. uh yeah so all of that really it, it 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 was really unfortunate he went off the deep end i went off the deep end and there were no grown-ups. I just wish there'd been some grown-ups in the mm. room. Someone, because everybody just thought he was just this enormous asshole. You know, <laughs> his, own, his own band hated him. I mean, Izzy told me um, the first time, you know, uh, he, that um, Axel came to audition for the in his band, school band. He said after three numbers, he threw down the mic and ran out of the room going, fuck you, guy, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to die. You know, it's like, and they're all going, what's wrong with this guy? You know, and, and as he said, we literally just thought, well, I hope he comes back because, uh, you know, he's not the greatest singer, but he's definitely crazy. Yeah. He'd be a great front man. Um, yeah. but, so it wasn't that, oh, he sold a million records and now he's an asshole. It was just who he is. You know, he had such a terrible childhood. 
and uh before he had any any hope of dealing with that yeah he became the biggest with his very first record he becomes the biggest coolest rock star in the world and mm. i used to see him around I, I i lived in west hollywood and i used to see him around all the time his half-brother Stuart was a regular visitor um and axel never had I mean, in, in fairness, none of them did. I mean, these days, if you see Slash, you know, that you've got two huge bodyguards and all the rest of it. But back then, there was no one. Um, they just would still hang out like regular guys. Axel would have um, his brother, Stuart, and maybe one other friend. Um, it just wasn't, you know, they didn't, like I say, there were no grown-ups around. Mm. And... Um, you know, he came from a very poor, very kind of hick from the sticks background. Mm. Um, I, I remember once where I was living, uh, Stuart was there and I was one morning and I was trying to make some boiled eggs because that's a good hangover cure, you know. And um, and I'm boiling the eggs and, I, you know, with boiled eggs, there comes a moment where this is the moment to take them out or they're going to be too hard or they're going to be too soft. And I'm looking for egg cups. And I said to Stuart, look in that cupboard, see if you can find some egg cups. And he's like, huh? I went, egg cups, man, egg cups. In that cupboard, he goes, egg what? Oh, fucking God. Egg cups, motherfucker. You know where you put the egg? I don't know what that is. Fucking hell. So I open the cupboard. By now, the eggs are ruined. But I get the cup and I show him, and he goes, huh? So I won't do the accent anymore, but he said, where I come from, we, we don't have egg cups. I said, well, what do you do? He goes, we boil them, peel them, and eat them. And I was like, okay, fair dues. Okay, sorry, culture clash. Um, and so that's the world Axel comes from. And now suddenly yeah. out of nowhere, he's expected to be this intellectual giant, this guy with answers, this 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 amazing artist you know and and none of those things were true you know he was clearly a very bright man um but sorely lacking education and and background and um and help you know help from mm. people that knew knew the world you know yeah it, it's funny mick like the story that you tell about axel like right there just off of a a simple question by Zeus. I think that is why your books are so amazing and so incredible to read because you've even mentioned this before in your podcasts and other places where you don't write your books about the music, you know, like, Oh, they use this guitar on this song and they tune down to it. You write about the bands, their lives, their backgrounds, the stories, the thing that makes the band, the band, which yeah. leads which leads me into your your upcoming book on the Eagles, which, as we all know, is one of the most incredible stories of just dissension and hatred and all kinds of crazy stuff. So I guess I'll, I'll ask, what took an author like you so long to write a book about a band like the Eagles? Well, um, you're absolutely right. The music isn't uh, number one on my list. Right. It's not re even really in the top 10. I mean, uh, um, 
obviously it helps if if you can relate to and i pretty much can relate to all kinds of music yeah. but it's the story and and that's how i ended up writing about rock bands uh when i started i was first published in 1977 mm-hmm. as a teenager and in 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 britain punk a new wave that was that was the main thing in the music papers in those days and so i spent the first year or so uh, uh, uh writing about little punk groups in tiny bars that no one would ever hear of again uh, occasionally someone that did go on to become big but it really was uh uh you know bar bands and people that wanted to be the sex pistols but were never going to get there and they were all just kids like me i mean i was 19 and most of them were about that age and i'll be honest with you most of them weren't very smart i mean i found them really fucking dull to talk to you know i'd come and go oh, hi <laughs> hi bob good gig yeah yeah fucking press all right you're fucking right <laughs> He's been watching Johnny Rotten on the telly, you know. So um, uh, in, in the middle of all this, I got sent to review Thin Lizzy. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the boys are back in town was their big hit in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, but over here, they were they were huge, you know, yep. and very cool. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I saw them at a theatre in London, uh, what was then the Hammersmith Odeon, hold about 3,000 people. So this is a step up for me from all the shitty punk bands I've been doing. And they were incredible. I mean, I really, I liked Thin Lizzy. I knew their songs. I'd never seen them live. And they just were at their absolute peak. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, because this was the party days of rock and roll, the 70s, um, I was asked to, if I wanted to come to the party afterwards. I'm like, there's a party afterwards? Great. And anyway, I was put into a limo. uh, And in this limo, there was George Best, who was the most rock and roll famous footballer in the world in those days in this country. Yeah, There are a couple of what they call page three girls. And that was the Sun newspaper on page three every day used to run topless shots of um, good looking young women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they re- and they got their own kind of cachet. Uh, oh, I'm a she's a page three girl. Whoa! <laughs> so there's a couple of them in there, a couple of other famous people from the telly, and me. And I'm like, this is way better than that shit pub I was in two nights ago reviewing fucking nosebleeds or whatever they were called. You know, <laughs> uh, we go to this party and it's just fabulous. And of course, the thing that I couldn't get over was it was a free bar. Mm. You know, you go to the bar and order anything you like, and they gave it to you. I was going around saying to people, it's a free bar. Like, and they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all free bars. What are you talking about? You know, so I just thought this is fabulous. And so I found myself gravitating towards writing about rock bands that didn't care whether my music paper thought they were fashionable or, 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 or whatever that shit was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wanted to rock. They wanted a ton of money. 
They wanted to travel in a limousine. They wanted to drive a Rolls Royce into a swimming pool. They absolutely <laughs> wanted every drug you've got in your pocket and more. And they're going to fuck your girlfriend. And we're going to do all of that in a limo and a private jet and a nice hotel suite. And I just thought, this is what I'm born to do. You know, why write about these nondescript kids that I'd find fucking boring as shit when I can go out with real men. Uh, and I always used to say the best part of the show was when it was finished because mm. back at the hotel or in the dressing room or the party or whatever, that's when people talk. That's when they tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is considerably younger than me. And she always used to tease me about all the chicks and drugs. that must've been in those days. And there were all those things, but honestly, guys, I found myself because, because, you know, it's kind of like a ride you go on. How many times do you need to go on that ride and still go, oh, let's do the ride again? You know, it was like sex and drugs constantly available. It wasn't a novelty. What was a novelty for me was sitting around with the roadies, the managers, the band, and telling stories, and in my case, listening to the stories. Mm-hmm. The laughter, the tears would be rolling down my face, or you'd hear the tragic story. My my father was a, a musician. He was he played traditional Irish and Scottish music. He was Irish, mm-hmm. Scots blood. And um when I was a kid, you know, they would come back from some gig they'd done. And you know, I'm, I'm I'm probably three or four years old. He would get my mother to wake me up and I would come downstairs where they'd all be drinking and the fire would be going and they'd be making food at 3 a.m. And they'd still be singing and playing. And that would peter out and then they would start to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And these are all Irish people and Scottish people. They're all vagabonds and outlaws. They're all in the IRA and want to kill the English, you know. And we live in England. <laughs> we live in England, yeah. And we're singing these IRA songs at three. And my mother would be like, Dada, Dada, will you stop? Will you stop the police? The police. You know, so, um, so these were like real fucking men. These were kick ass motherfuckers telling you stories. And you just could not stop laughing. Um, and the rock stars reminded me very much of that. They were just enormous fun to hang out with, to get the story. And unlike punk or pop groups, you know, lifespan of a pop group, you know, these days it's different. But back then, two, three years, if you were lucky, rock band, and, and it'd be domestic. You know, we'd have a big pop star in the UK you guys had never have heard of and the other way around. And um but rock bands were big everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. Japan, America, all over Europe. You know, I started traveling the world because I was writing about rock bands. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and it just was infinitely more, more interesting to me than than the other uh, option available. Um, and uh, But because at that time, Punk and New Wave was so cool here in the UK, Rock and metal was, you couldn't be more uncool than rock and metal in those days. So all the best writers weren't writing about it. They were too busy trying to get The Clash or whoever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, guys, you got to talk to UFO. I mean, these are motherfuckers with amazing stories. (laughs) I mean, UFO, after a gig in 
Texas, put me in a taxi um, uh, to, to say that it's going to just take you back to the hotel, you know. And they told the fucking guy to drive me to the border, all right? <laughs> we've been driving for 40 minutes. I'm going, we've left town. I'm going, excuse me, sir, where are we going? And he's Mexican. I can't understand a word he's saying. And eventually, you know, after a horrible nightmare journey, I get back to the hotel after about three hours. And then at about 2 a.m., they send um, uh, a transvestite hooker to my room <laughs> who is so good looking. I don't know it's a fucking transvestite until oh. it's too – well, not too late, but until uh, – you know, you, if you know, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> the fuck out. The fuck. <laughs> and we can hear in the other rooms the guys laughing, laughing, you know. Now, that never happened with uh, the new wave and the punk guys, or the pop guys. Pop, right. pop guys were even worse because they were so insecure. Uh, it, it was all about now, 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 because they really knew they had a short, a short lifespan of hits and they had to milk it. Mm-hmm. But these rock bands who would do their albums and and it didn't matter if they didn't have a hit single here because the albums were selling all over the world and they were still doing these amazing tours. And, of course, all the same roadies and tour managers and promoters and record company people and other media people and other musicians, the rock, what you were on planet rock, you were one of us. Mm-hmm. And um, it meant it, it, it just felt, friendly felt like a family um and you would check in you know they were always checking in. i remember doing a on an american on a, a leg of the Def leopard american tour in 88 yeah we got to red rocks and white snake were, were uh were also touring at the time but they were sort of two or three shows ahead of us and so for about a week every dressing room we arrived in there was a message on the wall in graffiti from the white snake guys mm-hmm. um it, so it was just that it, it was just like that you knew people they knew you um uh so for me it, it's always been stories uh right. there were lots of stuff back i wrote about that i wasn't uh, at all a fan of their music but i was a fan of their stories and um uh, and so I went with it. I went with it. And I'm still to this day laughing my ass off. I mean, the only reason I didn't get to the Eagles before was because I was too busy doing Led Zeppelin and yep. The Doors and ACDC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, you don't know when you do a book, particularly in your early career, whether you're ever going to do another one. Um, so it wasn't that I left them till last. It was just uh, uh, getting around to it, really. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah, for me now, uh, Mick, I I love the music, but I also love the dynamic in the band the personalities because uh in music there's no one really like don henley <laughs> and he as much as like uh i is some off-putting type of personality he might have i find it fascinating and then you throw in a rocker like joe walsh and then you throw <laughs> in a fucking cocky conceited like i don't give a fuck guy like glenn fry in there and then you have quiet guys like Randy Meisner in there. How that band survived is beyond belief. <laughs> and what they put each other through. And then you, you know, you, you have all the fighting and and then Bernie Ledin, who everyone forgets, he was on yep. four albums. Yeah. Not Joe Walsh, who was on only on really two of the original greats. Mm-hmm. But he was on the four albums. And he's like forgotten. And and and, Ber- and Bernie Ledden was, you know, possibly the most talented musician in the group. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Glenn could play good Chuck Berry guitar. Don as a drummer. I mean, come on, let's be fair, you know. But <laughs> yeah. but but as he a singer, okay. yeah. but as a singer and songwriter, different oh. different level. But Bernie was the real deal, and he he you know he'd been on that scene. He was authentic. You know, he, he'd been with the birds and the Cursal Flyers and Graham Parsons. He knew all that yep. scene. He was he was of that scene. Yep. He could play anything, anything with strings on it, he could play. Yep. And he was the one that always wanted to uh keep the Eagles authentic, keep them honest. Have this is you know, we're gonna we're like the country it. rock style more exactly. so than the hard rock style. And he because he felt that was their true nature. 
Yeah. yeah, and he felt that was a more honest, authentic kind of Americana. I mean, you know, that era of the late 60s, you've got the band, you've got Crosby, Stills and Nash, you've got, um, I mean, even Bob Dylan does a country album. Uh, uh, the Stones are, are doing country-flavoured songs. Mm-hmm. You know, country, country was cool. It was Outlaw cool. Country back then, Waylon Jennings and all them started yeah. doing Outlaw their thing country, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. So, but Glenn, Glenn, you know, that was never Glenn's dream. He wanted to be a rock star. He wanted to be yep. James D. Right. Hence the I song. Mean, he, he practiced flipping cigarettes into his mouth because he'd seen James Dean doing it. Motherfucker practiced this um, <laughs> until he got good at it. Um uh, he wanted to play Chuck Berry songs. He wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. And uh, and you weren't allowed in the early 70s, we'd reach that terrible moment where well, it's always been the way. I mean, the punk and new wave guys are like this, you know, where you pretend you don't want the trappings of uh, rock star excess. It, 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 you know, you can't be that shallow, you know, but of course they do. <laughs> And and Glenn made no bones about it. And and, and actually, that's one of the reasons I really like the Eagles, or or rather, I really relate to them because, you know, uh, they were like the black sheep. You know, they they had no credibility with the Crosbys and the Neil Youngs and 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 uh, Graham Parsons and all these people. Mm-hmm. No credibility whatsoever. It was a bit like you know the old you know Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis poo-pooing elvis because he popularized songs that were just around you know mm-hmm. um well the eagles did the same thing and this has been the story of pop and rock what, what were the beatles doing other than the everly brothers uh updated you know i mean right. everybody comes from somewhere yeah. and i think the eagles though made no bones about the fact that this la stuff was great but we ain't la and we want all the money, all the chicks, all the drugs, all the time. Mm. Uh, and 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 you know what? We're also going to write amazing hit songs, way better than you ever wrote, David Crosby. Way better Thank than, you. Than, than any of you ever wrote. I mean, come on. I mean, Lying Eyes, take it to, and all of them. I mean, you know, Bernie Ledden, he wrote My Man. I um, love that song. That is one of the greatest songs, I think, in the Eagles catalogue. It was about Graham Parsons, but you didn't need to know that. It was just a beautiful song. Randy wrote Take It to the Limit, just a beautiful song. Um, and then we know about Don and Glenn. I mean, blimey, you know, where, where, do, you, where do you end with the list of classics? Mm. Yeah. They kept it. So, so I think they, you know... They they didn't kowtow, they didn't apologize, they didn't explain. Um, and I think that 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 left the other scenesters uh with a reason to grumble. Um completely unfairly. You know, the what? same way that people grumbled about Dylan going electric, you know, it's like, oh, but it's not real. Yeah, oh fuck off, you know, of course it's <laughs> fucking real, you know. Have you heard New Kid in Town? Have you heard one of these nights? Oh, it's shit, is it? Well, you go and write Best of My Love then. Come on, show me how it's done, you know? Yeah. 
so I really relate. I really relate to the Eagles on that level. I love that fuckiness about them. I really do. Well, speaking of that, Mick, you mentioned on your podcast you had a kind of a little anecdote about Don Henley saying how I believe it was Don Henley about how he's not a fan of books about bands or books about Eagles. <laughs> and somebody had reached out to him. I believe it may have been yourself. Forgive, forgive me if I'm misspeaking. Oh, with I saying, want to hear this story. Yeah. S- saying, saying that, you know, Don, you know, we're, we're putting a book together. would like to interview you so you can comment or counter anything, anything that we found. And Don Henley's response was simply fuck off. Yeah. Well, that was, <laughs> well, that that's the very start of my Eagles book. Like, <laughs> exactly. It, right. Right. Call it the fast forward. Um, because it's just the forward and it's called uh, the uh, the chapter heading is Don Henley hates books about the Eagles. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. And and it tells the story of Mark Elliott, who wrote a great book on the Eagles. And Mark was a New York times writer. I have the book written. Oh, there you go. Yep. It's a very, very good book. I mean, to me, it's a little bit of its time. Um, a bit too many roadies interviewed, uh, I don't think you need that level of detail anymore. But the fact is, Mark was a proper journalist. He wasn't like a, a fan writing a kiss-ass book. Um, uh, I used to be a publicist. I used to try and explain this to my artists all the time is, look, uh, these things are legacy items. This is your, these are reputational events and they will burnish your legend Mark Elliott wants to do it. Fucking help the man. Get in there right now and work with Mark Elliott. And Mark Elliott sent a very courteous uh, approach to Irving Azov, Don Henley, and um, and they literally just said, "Fuck you." That was it. <laughs> Fuck you. And then and then this goes on and on. He's very persistent. And then Mark eventually gets Don in a position where he is being quite cooperative. Um, and then the book comes out. And they're having like a, a launch for it, probably at Book Soup in 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 LA or somewhere like that, and or Tower or somewhere in those days. And uh, uh, Don Henley dr- personally drives around to the stores and says, "If you hold this event with Mark Elliott or you sell his book, you will never do anything with me or the Eagles again." You will oh be completely off the fucking radar, my friend. So wow. of course we, they went. They just cancelled everything, you know. Right. And and uh, and I guess the point in the book is to is to uh, is to have a great a, an interesting beginning that hooks you, but it's also to give you a little bit of insight into actually, you know, all these things go into the mix. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you can't write a song like Hotel California or Life in the Fast Lane without knowing the darkness. And Don knows the darkness and mm. I think he lets it overcome him too often. Um, and he, 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 he just hates having any light shed on those dark corners. Uh, understandably, when you think of some of the things, but um, so it kind of just, you know, let's get one thing straight. Don Henley hates books about the Eagles. <laughs> Here's another one. <laughs> We're going to get right into it right now. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, always, so, so well, Mick, well, well, I would just oh, want to jump on that one last yeah, thing. Go, go ahead. Zeus. So I always love that quote from Glenn Fry about Henley saying that 
nobody sucks the fun out of a room faster than Don Henley. Because he's such a fucking miserable fucking prick. Like, he's like the whole thing about now, he does the whole thing with music and the artists and fights yeah, for their yeah. rights and stuff. Yeah. But everyone's like, yeah. If it wasn't Don Henley, maybe he'd get some traction. But everyone's like, yeah, he's right. But he's a fucking dick. <laughs> but anyways, I'm sorry, Tom. Go ahead. I just no, no, no. Fight. It's true. It's true. It's true. No, but I just wanted to pivot real quickly to the book itself, Mick. Because, again, re- listening to your podcast, which was hilarious, you talk about how the book had previously been released in the UK under the title Dark Desert Highway. But it's available for pre-order in the U.S. coming out in July, and it's under the title of Life in the Fast Lane. Yes. Can you can you explain the title change, and has that ever happened to any of your other books before? Um, title changes to books between America and the U.K., they, they can change, yeah. Okay. Um, it's exactly the same book. Right. It, it just came out here in the U.K., uh, two two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Okay. Um, comes out in the U.S. in a few weeks, early July. Yep. And well, the American, yep. and the that's it. Uh, and the American publishers, Diversion, who I have to say I, I've never worked with before, but so far they have been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really amazing. Uh, uh, they they wanted to change the title. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I have no problem with that. I actually really, uh, if I'd thought of life in the fast lane, I might have gone for that myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when it comes to things like that, you know, they're relying on market research. They're relying on what their salespeople are telling them they can get in the stores. Can you get it in the window of the store? You know, it, it's all those conversations. They don't just willy nilly go, oh, you know what? I think I got a better title. They they come mm-hmm. back and go, you know what we what we believe will actually work more in your favor. And so I went, listen, if that's what you guys say, you know, um uh Def Leopard always used to say it when they were big in the eighties, um mm-hmm. We never choose the singles mm. uh, because it's not us that have got to go out there and sell it and work it. I and mean, they do their interviews and their tours, but it's mm-hmm. guys on the ground, you know, walking into stores, trying to get them to stock or restock, get radio stations to play it, whatever it might be. And he said, we never argue with them. He said, and, and if it, and if it flops, we go, well, that's on you. You know, that's on you, motherfucker. That was your idea. And we said, yes. Right, and right. It didn't work. So don't even talk to me about it. So, I mean, I wouldn't, that's not the attitude I would cop with diversion, obviously. But, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt me. And, and they're happier. And i got to tell you, I love them far more than I love my UK publishers, who yeah. I don't love at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny use, they are so useless it's ridiculous <laughs> hey mick uh i was wondering if you had an opinion or if it's in the book or anything about the whole at the end issue that don felder had with the band now don wasn't uh an original member but they made him an original they paid him as such when he joined the band as yeah. part of the group so at the end when they were all making their money and he's like okay what's the cut Oh, just shut up and take your fucking money. And <laughs> hey, we're we're the big names. You're just whatever. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 no. We have a contract. I get the equal shares as you two do. 
Yeah. And then that whole fight happened. Do you have an yeah. opinion or thought on that? I, I, I do. I do. I mean, the, the. Who's right. Okay. Um, Don Felder is right. Thank you. But, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean shit in the music business. Uh, <laughs> no, no. You know, you're t- hey, dude, have you not met Don Henley? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don Henley hates people in the Eagles that don't do what the fuck I tell them to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, listen, of course Felder's right, but uh, if he was expecting anything different, he's wrong. All these bands, all the big uh, box office bands that are still making a shit ton of money out there that don't even bother making records anymore. You know, they, I mean, I saw the Eagles uh, in Hyde Park, London last summer. And I saw that it, tour too in Boston. Mm-hmm. The oh, hotel, right. Yeah, the Hotel California. It yeah. was fucking awesome. Let me tell you, <laughs> one of the best fucking concerts amazing job you, you can't tell that's fucking it's just incredible i will i will tell you i i thought you know without glenn fry how's this gonna go but it worked yeah well i'm watching it and at one point there's about eight or nine guys on the stage <laughs> and i know don and i know joe walsh and i'm like who the fuck else who are they you know i mean i mean i, I mean obviously not the bassist he was there Timothy B. Schmidt. Yeah. Timothy B. Schmidt was was there for the long run. Um uh, so not necessarily Timothy, but uh and he's got a number one hit too for the band. Yeah, so yeah, you, well, can, yeah. you can say he's a contributor, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I listen. Uh, oh I'm no, with- no, I'm just saying, like, because he's sometimes forgotten, but you're like, there's like five or six guys in the band have written number one hits for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, name another band that can do that. True. But if he'd put it out under his own name, no one would ever hear the song. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, you're absolutely right. Uh, and this is where we get into who earns the dough. You know, by the time Felder has his disagreement, the Eagles are not a recording artist anymore. You know, they are purely a live franchise. And the thing with live franchises is, um, no one gives a fuck as long as Don and Glenn are there. And, and if one of them can't be there, it better be because they're dead. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Guns N' Roses is Axel, Slash and Duff. Now, right. ask me if Slash and Duff earn as much money as Axel. Right. Of course not. Of course not. When when Black Sabbath got together, back together, one of their many reunions, but the original yeah. line with Ozzy, uh, going back early 2000s, late 90s. Anyway, they did the whole OzFest thing. They did a big old tour. Mm-hmm. Made a shit ton of dough. Um, how it was parceled out was Iomi, Butler, and Ward got one quarter between them. Wow. And Ozzy got three quarters off the top of everything. Mm-hmm. Now, is that who's right, who's wrong? Here's the deal. If they could go out and make that money on their own, then they should. But they can't. They exactly. can't. Exactly. And that we're not in the era of recording artists anymore. We don't need to keep this guy <laughs> cool. He might write another hit. You know, it's it's over, baby. 
Now, if you want to come on, here's the deal, this amount of money. But you said back in 1975, (laughs) wake up, Felder. It's fucking 2002 or whatever. You know, do you want a million bucks or don't you? But it should be 10 million. Fuck off. (laughs) Fire you, get another guy, he'll do it for 10 grand. What do you say to that? You can't do that. It's been done. So, you know. No, I I agree with you. We so our main podcast is about our favorite band, Kiss. Ah, that's the same thing. So with KISS and its fanatic fans, you have a big divide of the people that love the original guys, Peter Chris, Ace Fraley. Oh, put them back. And they want their same money as Paul and Gene who oh, kept yeah. the band for 50 years. And they're like, fuck you. You can get paid <laughs> as a musician. You'll, you'll get a million dollars or $2 million, yeah. something yeah. you'll never sniff on your own. Yeah. So shut the fuck up and let's make some money. No, yeah. I want what you guys get. I want 25% right. of, you know, the whole pie. Like you guys should get like, good luck. Yeah. No, listen, absolutely. You know, Gene and Paul kept that band going when uh, really, you know, a lot of people were telling them to throw the towel in. And, um, you know, so then they took off the makeup and then they put it back on and then they had a farewell tour and then they had a comeback tour. And <laughs> meanwhile, you've now got Kif, Kiss Golf Courses, Kiss Coffins. <laughs> I, I, I was... I was working with Doc McGee in 2019, and he invited me onto the Kiss Cruise. And oh, we would have saw you. Yeah, we've been we've been on it twice. Oh, I'm talking November 2019, the one from Miami to. Oh, we weren't on that one. No, unfortunately, that's Kiss Cruise Nine. Yes. Okay. We were on ten and (laughs) eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Think of how silly that song. Oh, yeah, we were on the Kiss Cruise ten and eleven. Like, what the (laughs) fuck is wrong with us? Well, to me, it was amazing. I mean, you know, I didn't know. I I, before I got on it, I thought, I hope I don't get seasick. I didn't know it was like a floating city. You know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Art galleries, cinemas, theatres, they did three or four shows in a yep. big theatre and and by the pool and all that stuff. But Doc told me um, by the second day of that cruise, now I think it was Gene, it would either be Gene or Paul, I know, but I think it was Gene, had already made a, a one and a half million uh, just by people buying replica bass yep. guitars. Unbelievable. Yep. yep, he does that. Yep, yep. Of course he does. Meanwhile, Paul has got his artist's beret on and his mm-hmm. fucking canvases. The Renaissance man, Paul Sandler. The Renaissance man <laughs> is him. selling these, no doubt, superb works of art oh, um, yeah. to, to fans. <laughs> and he's making a shit ton of money. And and that's before anybody, I mean, the, the first night, Doc took me up to the very, very, very top deck where all the all the crazy business stuff happens. Yeah, and he took me to this huge room with all the merch. Oh yeah, he said, and he said, "Take whatever you like." Um, I'd have needed a pickup truck to to take <laughs> to, to, even, to even take a little bit of what I you know I left there like staggering under a weight of stuff, you know. 
Um, and I and I didn't touch it. Well, I didn't, you know, it was just insane. So the the you know, so Ace or Peter come back and they go, well, yeah, obviously twenty five percent. Like fuck you, man. <laughs> Why am I giving away money when I'm I'm just dripping with dough? I don't need you. You need me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Mick, this leads us to the next question. If we can just (laughs) continue for a few minutes with the kiss thing. You have written books about every major band (laughs) in existence. We have to ask, is kiss not worthy of the Mick Wall treatment? Why have you not done a kiss book? Tell us, please. Kiss is it's kind of like if you're this mountaineer and you've You've done all the big mountains, you know. Okay. And there's only one left. But because it is such a motherfucker of a mountain that you might die on, um, you you know you know you're gonna have to face it one day, but in the meantime, you're just looking at it going, My God, man, where do I start? Um We're happy to help you. Wow, that's a that's a good that's I'll tell I'll tell you, Mick, Mick, that, that is a great and surprising answer. Well, I listen to to me. I would re- I want to read that book. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, yeah. So do we. Yeah. They, they, there's been various. I mean, I've got them on my shelf. Um, we have every Kiss book ever written on everything. <laughs> We've read them all. And there's some good, bad, and the ugly. But a yeah. Mick Wall Kiss book. That's that that's going to shoot to the top. No, I mean, no offense to what else has been written, but we, we I'm mean, honestly, me and Tom were debating it. We're like, maybe he thinks kisses. Ah, kiss. I write about Zeppelin Metallica. I no. write about like, maybe kiss, you know, kiss does have that reputation. Some people like, ah, that's just silly. Oh, yeah. that's just kid shit. Well, and people don't take the music serious. Listen to me. It's one of the most unique most incredible against the odds you couldn't make this shit up kind of a story um so i would love to i mean i, I think also uh latterly um like i say i was working with doc mcgee in 2019 i was actually ghosting his memoir oh wow um, yeah wow. Uh, what uh, it was done um, I don't know if it's ever coming out because back in 2019, we had all sorts of plans. Yeah. You know, there was going to be a, there was definitely a documentary being filmed at the same time. There was talk of the book could be adapted into a movie or a Netflix series. Hmm. It was big plans going on all the time. It was very exciting. And then, as you know, in March 2020, just as I'm halfway yeah. through the ebook, the world changes mm-hmm. and never to come back again. And um, everything, why am I saying this? Everybody knows everything stopped, everything changed. Whatever you had planned last year just didn't matter anymore, or maybe it did, but you had to wait and find out. And Doc and I stayed in touch, but the, the truth is, is that um, we haven't, I mean, it doesn't mean he won't call me tomorrow and it's all back on, but the pandemic, I think, completely refocused what people's plans were. You know, he's got this farewell tour, the, the never-ending farewell tour, 
end uh, of eternity. Plans to, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there's plans to keep it going after they do quit. And so I, you know, I, I can't, I can't begin to guess what's in Doc's mind, but um, when I first started working with Doc, I was just finishing my Jimi Hendrix book and uh, was definitely casting around for what would come next. And I promise you, I've been thinking about a Kiss book for years and years and years. Oh, that, that's what we want to hear. Because I want to read it. You know, yeah, I wanna, of course. I want to read the <laughs> shit. I want to read the real, real thing. And... Um, just just that opportunity keeps skirting away but hey listen you know especially if i can get um uh uh you know doc's blessing in some way i mean i think it's very hard as well because gene is the ultimate control freak and paul oh paul does not allow gene to do anything kiss wise without paul's Hundred percent. Oh, of course. He's way yeah. too sensitive, and he'll probably want some control, especially if you're going to speak to the other two members. Totally. Oh totally. yeah, yeah. Well, he ain't going to want. He's going to always want to have the last word. Yes, he is, and I think. Uh, I mean, he's. He's. Uh, I mean, Doc was telling me so many funny stories. You know, Gene has plans for everyone. You yep. know, he said we we were on the private plane, so this would have been. 2018 2019 and he said and gene came over and i can't remember the exact thing okay uh but it was kind of like you know did you read this this uh the, you know the, the leader of china says something about taiwan or and he says to doc you know maybe i should have a word with that guy you know i mean uh, maybe listen to me <laughs> that's gene yeah and doc's Why looking not? at are you for real i mean what the fuck <laughs> Um, and and you know and you know Paul has one bad ear. He's completely yeah. deaf. Oh yeah, he doesn't fail to tell people about it every time he yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the private plane, whenever Paul senses that Gene might be hovering, he will put himself in the left window. Is I don't know if it's his left or right ear, but um, he'll put himself in the window seat so his deaf ear is pointing out to the aisle. You know. <laughs> So that when Gene comes over, go, Paul, we're going to call the president and we're going to tell him, you know, Paul oh, can't hear him. Paul's like, yeah, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But that, those two guys, I mean, th- there is a real story to be told. And without a doubt. And, and working with Doc, I got to see a lot of the behind the screens stuff. And, um, like all these things, once you get in that little room, it's like the Wizard of Oz at the end, where you find there's just this little old guy operating the levers, and yeah, and you kind of go, "Oh man, really?" So, Mick, what's your what, what's your relationship with Doc? You said working with Doc. What exactly, like, what kind of projects or involvements have you had with Doc that you have this kind of relationship that brought you on the Kiss Cruise, etc.? Right. Well, I was I was ghosting his memoirs. He oh, okay, to- yeah, yeah. Okay, you mentioned that. Yep. Yeah, okay. so we did about four million interviews. Okay, um, uh, not we did some sitting down, but the real stuff was on the move. Okay, so I was in LA with him. I was at his other home in Nat, two homes in Nashville. Mm-hmm. We were in Miami. We were in London, Paris, maybe. Um, I can't remember, but uh, you know, about a year of my life 
was very much wrapped around working with Doc. Mm. He made he made life. He is an amazing guy. Mm. Um, Why aren't you and- kicking his ass though and saying to him, "Hey, <laughs> motherfucker! I put a fucking lot of time into this shit. Let's get this well, fucking book out." <laughs> well. Because he, he he won't respond to that. He, he's yeah, his own okay. man, and, and also <laughs> to be honest, he, Doc is so smart, so classy, so experienced, so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. He paid, okay. He paid a lot of money so that I couldn't get under his feet when it came to this sort of thing. Gotcha, mm. gotcha. You know, I'm not yep. relying on the back end on this. Yeah, they the best money I've had on a book for years and he paid it all up front and he took care of everything, mm-hmm. all flights, hotels. He wasn't nice. always staying with him, but you know, he total access. He set me up with guys that had been to jail, you know, and he got busted. He didn't go to jail, but some yeah. of his guys did. Yep. And there was one guy, I think he did like 20 years and, uh, and he was on the cruise and we did a great interview about what it was like working for Doc the drug smuggler. Um, <laughs> you know, let's not let's not make any bones about it. Yeah. Doc I mean, the I, drug smuggler. Oh, <laughs> listen, Doc was out in Medellin. You know, and let's yeah. not walk around. Oh no, you're right. By the time Doc was 26, this is before he is Doc McGee of the music business. Yep. By the time he is 26, he has a he has two apartments. Uh, two big penthouse apartments in New York. He has his own big house on the water in Miami. And out in the Caymans, he owns an island. You know, <laughs> this is before he gets into the music business. Right, right. Um, I mean, he was telling me when he he uh, got drafted into the army um, when the Vietnam War was going on, Um because he had an older brother that was already in active duty, there's that law where uh, I forget what you call it, but in America, you know, you're you've already got a family member in that war zone. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't send another one in. That's right. Yep. So the other one will go and do other. Will be in the army, but will do other. And Doc, Doc found himself by mistake um, being posted in Berlin. Um, at a time when, you know, the wall is a real thing. And he said, we used to smuggle all this shit to the East Germans. You know, he goes, it'd be anything from Spider-Man comics to cigarettes to a lot of porn mags because they couldn't get them. No internet either. Mm -hmm. Said uh, He said, we'd be driving back and forth, making a shit ton of dough. He said, they were good years. They were good years. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure they were. That's insane. He, he had a grandmother. He had a grandmother who was a bootlegger, and and he told me when he was like ten years old, because what they would do is they would put the alcohol. They'd have a, a special uh, tank in the in the car, and all the alcohol would go in that tank as if it was where you put the gas. Oh yeah, and then there'd obviously be the the gas tank as well. Yeah, they used to do that for cocaine too. The drug smugglers. Well, I think. Maybe Don picked up a Doc picked up a trick here because <laughs> he said my grandmother said get in the car and drive it. He's like ten. He went, I'm ten. I can't dr- get in the fucking car. You know, <laughs> so he gets in the car and he's driving sitting on the steering wheel trying to look. He that's how he learned to drive, man. You know, 
That's so awesome. Across state line with grandma, you know, I that's so awesome. I love this guy. So I got so involved in that, that I, in my head, it was kind of like in 2020 or 2021, when the kiss thing is over, there'll, there'll be the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's going to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no one knows when that's going to happen. They'll be carrying them out in a box. <laughs> yes, exactly. they'll, they'll be in their own kiss coffin. Yeah. No, hey, one, <laughs> one other thing I was going to ask you now, you've done them all. Led Zeppelin, Metallica, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Ozzy, you name it. Do you have favorites? Like this is the, my favorite band. That's, you know, personally their music. Do you have favorite music? Uh, bands of all these not really i mean when i was a kid it would have been um i would have said led zeppelin but i might have said the doors um mm-hmm. both fantastic uh, yep and your oh, zeppelin sorry. book by the way oh. <laughs> is a must for oh any God. zeppelin fan we do a little side cast on zeppelin because like every hard rock american fan in our 40s and 50s led zeppelin is just in a class of its own and, uh, well, thank you. Thank when, you. When the Giants Walk the Earth by Mick Wall. Incredible. One fucking awesome book. Uh, I'm actually vacationing this summer in Greece again. Every time I go, I always bring a Zeppelin book. I've read your <laughs> book again. I'm bringing it with me to read it. There's something uh, about reading about Zeppelin on the Greek mountains and ocean that just <laughs> puts me in a different. Nothing like Zeppelin 3 there. And uh, I talk about right. it all the time. Uh, this book is just fan fucking tastic. Oh, and, spe- well, and speaking yeah. of that, Mick, I, I, I'm the I'm the resident Metallica fan, and I've read every Metallica book under the sun. And when I remember years back when you when you released Enter Night, and uh, I was like, oh my yeah. god, Metallica's getting the Mick Wall treatment, and my god, what a treat it was to read that. Um, I mean, just just talking to you this morning, you know, this morning for us, this afternoon yeah. for you, yeah. the, this is why your books are must reads because. They're stories that that you're a you're a storyteller, and when you take these bands that are so adored and so beloved, and it goes through the Mick Wall filter, that's why they become the greatest rock books of all time. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, Metallica was uh, at the time it was billed as my follow up to Zeppelin. You know, yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, it. it for both those books, I think it was the first time, maybe not the first time, but the first time I'd done a big book mm-hmm. where it was all bets are off. Um, I, my very early music books, going back 35 years, uh, they were what I would call fan books, where yep. you kind of feel you've got the story in your head. Uh, it's like a jigsaw puzzle and they've given you the box and you're just going to put the pieces together. Um, and, and I threw that out the window with Zeppelin and was amazed by the results. I mean, before I wrote that book, I couldn't understand why Robert Plant wouldn't just get back together, you know, because mm-hmm. I'd known Jimmy for 20 years at that point. And by the time I finished that book, I'm all about Robert. I totally get where he's coming from. You know, it completely altered my perspective. I just, I, I, as I'm writing it, I'm learning about it. Metallica, same thing. Um, but I guess because I'm sl- slightly closer in age to the Metallica guys, 
mm-hmm. and because I was one of those people that wrote about them before they were famous. You know, they they got big in the UK and Europe before America. Yep. Um, I, 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 I think I probably just felt I knew quite a lot, and turned out as usual I didn't. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Uh, but this is on every page. But this is an obvious quick example. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Zeppelin, Orthodoxy, every other book, every other article, Zeppelin. They broke up because John Bonham died and no one could replace John, to which mm-hmm. I say, bullshit. Okay. Does anybody believe for one minute if after Led Zeppelin too? John Bonham had died in a car crash or some unfortunate circumstance. Does anybody really believe they wouldn't have just gone and got another drummer and carried on? You're right. By the time they've done the two, the first three Zeppelin albums, uh, the fourth with Stairway, Houses, Physical Graffiti. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. They've even done In Through the Outdoor, which was just a catastrophe. Page so smacked out. He's doing nothing. Yep. Yep. doing it all. Yep. Um, Bonzo didn't want to go back to America. He's all fucked up. And then he dies. In, I mean, the whole thing was a cesspit. Mm-hmm. Robert Plant's kid has died. Yep. Peter Grant, by this stage, is over the other side of the rainbow. Of course they broke up. Right. It wasn't because John Bonham died. Now, similar with Metallica, you know, Cliff Burton dies. Um, but we carried on because that's what Cliff would have wanted. <laughs> every book, every article. Mm-hmm. And yet when I got to that bit and I kept digging and digging and digging and remembering my own memories from those times, I was in the studio when they were doing Master of Puppets. Yep. Um, Cliff was planning to get rid of Lars. Cliff wanted mm-hmm. to bring in Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Yep. Um and I think that could have happened. Mm-hmm. It's one of those sort of sliding doors moments. Yes, totally. But Cliff dies, and suddenly Cliff, who was the guy James Hetfield worshipped, Cliff was the only guy Lars knew wouldn't stand for his shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't anything to do with Cliff would have wanted it. Cliff didn't get what he wanted. Cliff wanted to live. And Cliff wanted to get rid of Lars. That's what Cliff would have wanted. <laughs> um, so, so that's where the book goes. It doesn't try to do it in a snarky way. It just tries to say, "Look, isn't this interesting? Yeah, um, how differently could this story have gone if Cliff yeah. hadn't died and they had brought in Lombardo? I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't think they'd ever have done the Black Album. Never. Mm-hmm. Not with Dave. Not with Dave Lombardo. Nope. No. no. <laughs> But maybe they'd have done another one as good as Master of Puppets, you know. Or, Perhaps. Or maybe, yep. Yep. You, we, we don't know. We right. don't know. I mean, Cliff loved Kate Bush and the police. So, I mean, who's to say Cliff wouldn't have thought, yeah, let's do the big hit at some point, you know. Um, yep. But that thinking honestly is on every page so that uh, I don't try and go, right. So it's like, like a, if you follow the NBA or – baseball or football and you go well my team i'm gonna write write the story of my team you know it's Mm -hmm. that's fine but that isn't the story i want to write about i don't want anybody to think they were my team 
because the only person I care about is the reader. So, so with Zeppelin, Jimmy Page, who I'd known for 20 years, all kinds of stuff, um, you know, sort of disowns me. Uh, mm. Robert Plant uh, rings up and asks, can he have like six copies? Um, Metallica, James Hetfield, I am dead to him, apparently. That's what I've been told. Wow. Well, he has trust issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's pretty fucked up. We're, yep. we're all fucked up, guys. And this is one of the things that fucks him up. Uh, Lars cracks me up. He still rings me. Yep. Because of all the jibes about his drumming in the book, you know, he, he calls you, hey, it's your favorite drummer. <laughs> Talk to me. What's going I'm on, asshole? <laughs> I said, have you taking lessons again? You know, uh, <laughs> taking lessons well, again. <laughs> you know, when Robert was doing the Black Album, he famously had Lars's room where Lars had to go in there and learn to play the fucking drums. Because, well, because Lars could go, pretend to be Neil Peart. Yep. I was like, dude, can you just go bang, bang, bang? Can you hold a fucking beat? No. <laughs> right. Go in that room. They set it up. They literally taught him, if you listen to the drums on Enter Sandman or whatever, I mean, Bob Rocks obviously worked his magic. Oh, yeah. That is the same drummer, you know, that was... Yeah, it's not the same yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he's very funny. I mean, he's... Uh, uh, he's a fr- So I guess the simple answer is, is I don't... No, if I have a favorite, whatever book I'm working on at the time, like the Eagles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I, I'm I'm so deep into their music. Their oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that. That's awesome. Well, because because when you spend a year working on something, you that this is how you get. But it was the same when I was doing excuse me, my Hendrix book or Guns N' Roses or Metallica or whoever it might be. You know, you 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 end up in that universe for such a long time that it's not even do I like this more than the other thing. It's it's just this is where I am. This is where I'm submerged, and and I'm going to try and describe this world. Uh, I find if you try and do things accurately, uh, that's the best. That's the best guide because sometimes writing things accurately, it doesn't seem to be right. It doesn't seem fair, or mm-hmm. can that right or no it is just let the story reveal itself to you don't go in there thinking oh they're all great guys and i want to stay pals with <laughs> no 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 because no. they don't give a fuck mate i mean I, i've been pals with every rock star you can think of and i've gone from being on the christmas card list uh to mick who uh you know it's, to the it's fucking hit list it's a yep. fucking game, but all I have in my favor is to go, well, here's my book. And it pay, it plays no favors. It plays no favors. It just wants to uh, give the reader as, as, as much inside information, much of my own insight uh, as I can. And then it's up to them to do what they want with it or not as the case may be. I, I, I'm, I, Amazon review. There was one Amazon review I read. Uh-oh. And it said, um, "It said, uh, I read the book. It's just his opinions. 
And it was, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my God. I kind of like, um, uh, yes, that's sort of what my USP is. I'm this guy who's done this a long time and knows this world and is your friend. I'm your friend. But, um, hey, that's that's the difference between, uh, you know, a very ardent music fan that loves a particular artist and me who just wants to make a great book. You know, they're not necessarily the same thing, you know. Well, that's why people buy your books and not go on Wikipedia to read facts, <laughs> right? And so, I figure with, with the music as well, we've we've got that now. I mean, when I started writing books, you had to go to the store to buy your record, your LP, mm-hmm. your CD. It, it, it really was a service you were providing to mm-hmm. people that couldn't afford to buy every damn record that comes along, you know. Um, and if you're doing a book about them, then you better go out and buy every damn thing you can find so that you can inform people and that's still true to an extent but you my kids you know they 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 hold up their phones and they've got the whole their whole music universe is right there on their phone Mm -hmm. they don't need someone to tell them about that was a good song or that was a bad song they already know all that they Mm -hmm. want to know stuff they can't find on their phone or you like you said wikipedia yeah that to me is, and, that, and that's the stuff I'm interested in reading. You know, I'm, I'm, I spend most of my life reading, you know. Um, and so that's that's always the aim is to try and uh, entertain. So I try and be a bit of a stylist. Uh, the Eagles is a very sort of stylist writing, particular to them. So I was trying, I was thinking of LA in the 70s. Um, but at the same time, it's trying to say, look, I know you've got the records and you've read the other books and all the rest of it, but this is my take. This is me, my take. Um, uh, so I don't know if I have any favourites. I, 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 I just tend to immerse myself in, you know, whatever project I'm working on. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you are a favourite of ours. You're a favourite of our listeners. And uh, you are the great Mick Wall. You have uh, uh, written some of the classic books and a new classic will be coming out. And that's Life in the Fast Lane. It comes out July 11th uh, this year. Um, It is, uh, I think it's on Kindle in paperback. Is it out on hardcover? Uh, Not in the States, not yet. Although it, uh, it will be available in Audible as well. Okay. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Um, and, okay. and if you're feeling if you're feeling like you want to go crazy, you, you can buy a hardback, but it would be the the UK edition, and it's going to cost you extra bucks, you know. To do oh, that. it's worth it for me. I always like hardcover books. Uh, yeah, I, I will certainly find it in the UK. Then I'll look for it. Uh, <laughs> Dude, but I can't me, wait. Listen, listen, listen. Send me send me an address, and I'll I'll get the book sent to you. Okay. Oh, you oh are, wonderful! You are amazing. Well, wonderful. It's Mick Wall. Mick, any chance we can get you back sometime just to do an episode on Kiss? <laughs> Fellas, you can have me back anytime to do an episode on anything you want to talk about because it, it's been huge fun talking to you. But this is the most fun interview I've done in years. Well, thank oh, you, Mick. It's, we've, it's, a, it's an honor for us. We're so thrilled. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this interview, this episode. They're going to have a blast. 
the great Mick Wall. Thank you so much for your time. We truly, truly appreciate it, Mick. Best of luck on the new book. I know you're not going to need it, but thank you so much for taking this time with us. Hey, my pleasure. We all we all need luck, Tom. So I appreciate your words. Thank you. Thank you. Tom, what'd you think? Incredible. We could have kept talking to him forever. So we recorded this on a Saturday morning, our time. And he is just a hilarious guy, a storyteller. Um, you know, some of his answers, he likes to take his time, but that's the pot that makes his books incredible. Is he just doesn't give you an answer. He gives you a story behind the answer. And it's just incredible. And one thing that blew me away was his opinion on Kiss. And how revered he thinks they are in terms of trying to put the energy together, the effort to put, make a book about them. Uh, obviously, his relationship with Doc, what he thinks of Paul and Gene, and, and just in general, just everything. His story about Axel, just incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah, Tom, we had our streak continues yeah. uh, of just getting people that end up being even nicer and kinder and better than we ever would expect. And, you know, in the, by the time you end up talking with Mick, uh, you, you've made a new friend. And uh, we'd yep. like to think we made a new friend with Mick and we'll have him on again because he's got a lot to talk about. So we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, till next time, peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.